You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Good morning, 930 service. How are we doing today, Solid Ground? Are you all right? Three of you are doing very well, and the rest, uh, we're glad that you're here. Hey, if we haven't met, my name's Bert, and I'm one of the pastors here. Guys, thanks for getting up. Thanks for spending your Sunday with us. And man, you picked a fun week, because we are in the middle of a series right now called This is Jesus, where we are going through the Gospel of John, and we're looking at the life of Jesus. So listen, if you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today, John 1. If you don't have a Bible... Before you leave, we got a stack of them right over here. Please just grab one, take it home. Absolutely free. Our gift to you, no questions asked, no strings attached. We just want to sow that into your life. And so just to sort of get on the same page, last week when we began this series, we began the whole series by asking this question right here, who is Jesus Christ? I mean, when we, if we were to ask the people who knew him best, everybody's got an opinion about Jesus, but if we were to ask the people who were closest to him, what would they say in response to that question? And last week we, we said, all right, listen, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, who was Jesus' best friend, he would say unequivocally, Jesus was and is God. That he's God in a bod, that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. That's how the whole gospel of John begins. But here's an interesting thing just to know, okay? When John wrote the gospel, and if you're going through John 1, you'll notice last week we omitted other verses during John 1. And here's the reason why. Because John, as a first century writer, doesn't write the same, or didn't write the same way that we write now. And so he actually had two thoughts happening at once in the middle of John 1. Now, last week we looked at the behind the scenes, like the the activity of God happening, Jesus coming into the world. That's sort of what's happening behind the scenes. But as John 1 begins, there's some stuff that everybody else is perceiving as the ministry and life of Jesus comes forward. And that's what we're going to look at today. So last week, if we looked at the question, who is Jesus Christ? And that's, and that's, that's the, the identity of Jesus. This week, if we're looking at okay, like what was happening when people were living among Jesus, or Jesus among them, I guess, here's the question that we would need to begin to ask today. All right, here it is. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Because here's the interesting thing. Okay, if we're saying that Jesus is God, so What? I mean, there has never been a shortage of religion in the world. Why would God need to step into it? I mean, and by the way, if, if Jesus is coming to people who are God's chosen people, who have the law, who have all, like, why in the world would he show, what would that possibly do? I mean, there's never been a shortage of people trying to do right in life. You, know, you, you ask somebody, hey, you know, what do you think about religion? The sort of popular view right now among many in our culture is that all religions are basically the same. That essentially what religions teach, okay, there's, there's something beyond this, okay? And there are some rules to make you right with the something beyond this, right? So essentially religion is viewed as this kind of mountain, okay? You've got all these different paths that are going up the mountain, but ultimately they will get you to the same destination, the thought goes. And so all religions that, you know, the, the, the line is a rose by any other name would smell sweet, but is that true? And would the life of Jesus fit in with that? I'm not sure that it would. In fact, what I think we're going to see today as we dig into Jesus's mission is this, that when it comes down to it, when it comes down to us just sort of, you know, patting ourselves on the back or just trying, just trying, like sincerely trying, 
Okay, like, you know, I want to be a good person. I, you know, I want, I want to, I want to, like, do more right than wrong. I want to not hurt people. I want to build people. Like, okay, as good as that is, ultimately, that is not going to answer the central problem of human existence. And that would be the problem of sin. Here's why. Because all of us, all of us have these things in our life where, okay, even though we knew good things, even though we knew, like, we wanted to do better, we, we knew what a standard was, all of us can think of times where even though we knew it, we chose not to do it, right? All of us can think of times in our life where, okay, you know, I, I, I know standards, and I know what my mom taught me, and I know what my dad taught me, and so I'll do, like, I should be doing things, but we don't do that. And what do you do with those times? Like, what, what solves that problem? Because then it's not about rules at all. It's about the human heart. It's about, so like, like there, there, there's red in the ledger, right? I mean, there's something going on there. I mean, think about, you know, like, it's that thing where, okay, when, when my head hits the pillow tonight, and I can, I can convince everybody else that it's gone, but not me. Right? You know what I mean? Like, there's this thing, you know, like, you know, I, I can go through life and I can, and I can espouse this sort of self-forgiveness and I believe it to a point, but if there's just this thing that's lingering in me. What in the world would wash that away? Because it's not about me keeping rules. I haven't kept rules. There's got to be something more. And it's in that vein that we ask this question. Okay, why did Jesus come? And to answer it, John, the gospel writer of John, tells the story of another guy named John. Really confusing. And this other John was called John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. Now, not like a John the Methodist type deal. Like, here's, here's what the thought went with that, okay? John the Baptizer, John the Baptist, shows up in the first century A.D., and he's the son of a he's the son of a priest. He you know he, he, he nothing really significant in his youth that happens, but but long about thirty A.D. Give or take a couple of years, John the Baptist appears by the Jordan River, and he's a wild man. I mean, the guy wears camel's hair and a leather belt. Like he, his food is locusts and honey, and he's just out there just saying some of the most offensive things possible to religious people. He's like repent, right? And spit just flying and etching in his beard there, ah, right? You know, and 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 he's like, you know, like, like here, you think you're good, you're not, you're terrible. And he's like, we are, oh my gosh, you know. And he's like, he's like, listen, you want to know how bad and how baseline morality? If you have two coats, give one away to somebody who doesn't have any. And people are like, okay, right. and people are freaking out, and this crazy thing happens. People's hearts begin to stir. And so you find, okay, John, he's out there in the middle of nowhere, and people start coming out to hear him. But here's why he becomes called John the Baptizer. It's not because he invented or baptism. It's that he changed it. You see, here's how it used to be. If somebody wanted to be made right with God, let's say, for instance, okay, like you wanted to convert to Judaism in the first century. Okay, you could do that. You didn't have to be born a Jew. And so here's what you would do. You would go through what was called a ceremonial washing. You get some water that was consecrated and you wash your body. You would clean yourself. And this was a way of showing, listen, God, I'm taking you seriously from now on. I'm pledging myself to you. I'm going to clean myself off. And this will make me right with you. And how many of us, that's the version of religion that we have picked up. Like when it comes to how we live with God. Okay, listen, I'll try harder now. Okay, I'll, I'll clean myself up. I'll be a better little boy. I'll be a better little girl. And this will show God how seriously I take you. I'm just gonna try. Come on. But then John shows up. And people come out there and he goes, ha, and he grabs them by the shoulders and dunks them in the water himself. And there's no them cleansing themselves. Like he's just, just grabbing people. Ha ha, right? But he's showing something. Hey, 
you think you can make yourself right with God, you can't. It's going to take somebody entirely outside of you to wash away your sin. And people are going, oh my gosh. And so I mean, just from all these different walks of life, people start flocking out to the Jordan. And, and not in small amounts, not without dedication. I mean, like, so you've got people, like, you've got religious people for sure, but you also have at the other end, you've got thieves, you've got prostitutes. Everybody's just coming out like, oh, oh my gosh, there's something stirring in my heart. I'm, I'm convicted. Let me just go out. I want to rededicate my life to God. I want to be made right with God. And I mean, in droves, like cities are emptying. Like thousands of people are just going out into the Jordan wilderness. And here's what's even crazier. Like when you understand geographically what that would take. I mean, like, for instance, if you were to go from Jerusalem to the Jordan where John is baptizing people, it's a 20-mile walk. Or, I'm sorry, 20-mile by the way the crow flies. If you were to sort of take in the way the, the roads zigzag, mountains, and, and all that stuff, okay, it'd actually be closer to 40 miles. Which means people were getting up before the sun rose, walking the entire day, and getting there after the sun set, just to, for the next day, hope that they could get in line to be baptized by this guy. I mean, that's crazy. No, I've never seen anything like it. And, and the message, like every Sunday becomes the same thing. Repent, repent, turn from your sin, turn from your sin. They're like, okay, uh, and they, they're going in. And in the middle of all that, in the middle of all that, the religious leadership of, of the day start to pick up on John. And they're going, oh my gosh, something crazy is happening down by the Jordan. I mean, cities are emptying. And so they send like an envoy out to meet him. Okay, what's going on? Like, who are you? Because they're looking at this guy and they're going, all right, listen, we have this promise in our scriptures that God one day will send us a Messiah, an anointed king, somebody that will right the wrongs of humanity, who will bring us back to God, who will set up God's rule on the earth. Maybe this guy is it. Because we, seriously, we've never seen anything like, nobody's ever drawn a crowd like this. And there he is. So maybe, maybe this is it. And so in John, the gospel of John, chapter one, verse 19, it says this. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Okay, so man, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? And John, with all these thousands of people looking at him, they're like, okay, he's on the platform, you know, so to speak. Everybody's like listening to this question, and he sees the religious leaders, and so it says, he did not fail to confess, but, conf- or, but confessed freely. He looks, okay, like, you want to know who I am? You want to know, like, who this is? This, like, this great religious leader that I am? I am not the Messiah. And they go, oh, well, okay, we, uh, we weren't expecting that. All right, um, regroup a little bit. Okay, well, there are other people that the scriptures tell us are going to show up that, that God's going to send. So, okay, so if he's not the Messiah, how about this? Verse 21, they asked him, then, then, then who are you? Are you Elijah? And that don't make sense because John is dressed like Elijah and, and, you know, he's out there telling people to repent and turn to God. That could, that could fit with Elijah. And there's this prophecy in Malachi that before the day of the Lord, Elijah will come back. So, so maybe, okay, that's who he is. Maybe he's Elijah. And so John looks at him again. And he, says, he, says, he said, I am not. And they go, okay, um, all right, not the Messiah, not Elijah. And so, okay, okay, but there's somebody else who's really important and John seems to be really important. So they say, are you the prophet? And who they're referencing is, right before Moses died in the book of Deuteronomy, he tells the Israelites, listen, God's gonna send somebody after me who's gonna be a greater prophet than me. 
I mean, he's going to just, he's going to speak the words of God and you should just listen to whatever he tells you to do. And so here's these, these, these religious leaders and they're asking, okay, is that who you are? Are you the, the prophet? And it says, he answered, no. And now they're completely out of ideas. Okay, well, that, 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 that is every box checked. Uh, well, how about this? They finally said, verse 22, who are you then? Give it, listen, you don't have to be any of these guys, but we got sent here on a mission. We have to report back to our supervisors. So listen, give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John, who are you? What is it that you're here to do? And John looks at him. Come in. Just come in a little bit. Guys, you, you want to know who I am? You're curious. You know what? You're not wrong that the scriptures spoke about me. Yeah, God's hand is absolutely on this, but, but you want to know? Let me tell you. Verse 23. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. He's quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3. Here's what like if you were to read Isaiah, Isaiah says, there's a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the way for him. And everybody's like, that's it? And the significance of that moment is entirely lost on us. Like maybe you've been in church for a while. And so like you've heard this. So yeah, like John the Baptist, he, he, he was prophesied about in Elijah, or not Elijah, Isaiah, right? And okay, moving on, that's a nice little blip. But here's what I want you to understand about what John is saying about his role, because it's actually incredibly significant, okay? So this, this, this verse right here, okay, that he's referencing in Isaiah um, 40 verse 3, like he said, like Isaiah says, voice crying out in the letters, prepare the way for the Lord. And, and John's hearers would have picked up on this, and certainly those who heard Isaiah originally would have picked up on this, but this is entirely removed from us culturally. So let me see if I can explain what, what he's saying, okay? So think of it this way. Okay, in the first century, when, when John was baptizing people, they didn't have Del Dot. Okay, like they didn't have like they didn't have paved roads or organized infrastructure or anything like that. Like, like roads were really just basically okay, where had people walked the most, and that created a road. And so you had tracks, like you had you had dirt sort of just like you know, mash out because people and horses and carts had just been going across this over and over and over again. And so and so like, when you had kings or dignitaries like entering, like a conqueror going into a city they had conquered, or whatever, what they would find is like on this road in front of them, people. I mean, they had like. You know, many people decided they were going to set up like shops trying to sell traveler stuff on the road, or they just left stuff in the middle of the road. And so you, you had all these obstacles in the road as, as a king or a dictator would enter a city, and so they would send somebody ahead of them who would cry out, listen, make way for the king, prepare the way for the ruler. And it was this person's job just to get everything off the road. So that when the, when the king showed up, when the king walked into the city that belonged to him, there was nothing stopping him from walking in and taking what was rightfully his. And there was, a, there was this job. This is person, what they would do is they would just go out, make way for the king, move this, move that, right? And so when John shows up, he says, listen, all I am is a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. He's got, guys, all that I am is that guy that goes ahead of the king. and says, get this out of the way. Move this. Move that, and suddenly things begin to make sense because we're seeing all these hearts beginning to become convicted. All this, like, life beginning to be changed because, because somebody's going to come after John who's way greater than John. And all John is doing is just making a way for him to take the stage that is rightfully his. Huh. 
And the Pharisees hear that. The people who are questioning John hear this. And, and they're kind of thrown off by it. Because if he's not Elijah, if he's not the Messiah, does he have really the right? I mean, if he's really as insignificant as he's making himself sound, even though really, I mean, it's to say, let's prepare the way for the Lord, that the Lord himself will walk down the road and like, whoa, okay? Does he, but does John have any right to do that? And so verse 24, it says this, okay? Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, well, then why do you baptize if you're not the Messiah or Elijah nor the prophet? I mean, like, what right do you have to be dunking these people? Because you seem to be not that significant. And John goes, <laughs> you think that's offensive. He says, I baptize with water. Guys, all that I'm doing is, is dropping people in some water. <laughs> and, and maybe we just need to pause on this for a moment. Um, because we hear baptism and we go, well, yeah, what else is he going to baptize with? I mean, it's, that, that's what baptism is. Only to them it wasn't. See, this word that we translate as baptism is a religious word to us now. Uh, it's from the Greek word baptizo. But to them, that's a really common word. It simply means to immerse something. So for instance, you can find like old first century literature and from that, around that time, like the Greek word that we, baptizo being used in different ways. Like you can find it used, okay, listen, of a ship that sank in the water. The ship was baptized. You can find it used of people who've had too much to drink. That they've been baptized in the wine. <laughs> and they've soaked it in and, and as they've soaked in the wine, it's affected their behavior. And John goes, listen, all that I'm doing is symbolic of something much greater. You, this, guys, this isn't holy water. In fact, if you've ever seen the Jordan, it's really dirty. I'm just baptizing him in water. And he says, but just so that we're clear, among you stands one you do not know. And I love that. I love that basically, okay, like it could be, okay, with all this crowd of people, Jesus is right there. And they don't even know it. Listen, listen, all I'm doing is, but, but man, right now, here among us, and we would say, why? Because the word has become flesh, okay? There's somebody you don't even know. And let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about him. Verse 27, he is the one who comes after me. The straps whose, of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Guys, you want to understand how great this guy, like you think I'm something? Here's how great this guy is. I'm not even worthy of being called his slave. And suddenly what John is doing begins to make sense because, okay, if there's somebody that is that royal, if there's somebody that is that elevated and that high, that holy, then suddenly it makes sense. Okay, you've got all these Jewish people who are in covenant with God. And John's saying, if you think you're going to make it with God based on how good you are, you got another thing coming. You're no different than any Gentile who wants to convert to the people of God. Get dunked. I mean, just think about it. I mean, that's just so right. Okay, listen, that he's so up here, this one who's coming after me, he's not going to look at you and be like, oh man, everything you do is great. No, no, no. You need to get right with God now because the real king, the real ruler is coming. When he shows up, oh shoot. All of us are like unworthy Gentiles. And it's here I want to clarify something. Okay, if we were to sort of ask John, who is Jesus? He's got a lot of thoughts about that. If we were to ask him what Jesus came to do, just based on what we see John the Baptist saying, I can tell you. 
In the words of Kanye West, Jesus is king. He is. Kanye didn't invent that, I know. <laughs> when Jesus shows up, the very first thing that John wants you to understand, yeah, okay, there, there is an anointed Messiah coming. It ain't me, it's him. And he's gonna rule. And his rule is not gonna be like anybody else's. Now, here's why this is important. If we wanna understand how we relate to God, because many of us, like, we love the personal relationship with Jesus, and rightfully so. Like the closeness, the intimacy, the connecting of hearts, yes and amen. But how many of us lose reverence for the fact that he is king? To be obeyed, to be followed. And this nature demands obedience from us. It's his right to have. If I could say it this way, how many of us we confuse? We think that it's about having to serve God. Not saying, no, it's about getting to serve God. Like it is, it is my privilege and honor and opportunity that I get to serve the true king. And how many of us, like, what we do is we, we treat God with this contempt, and we go, like, well, so if you do this thing that I think you should do, then I'll, you know, I'll follow you. Hey, God, if you make it so that I get that A on that test or so that my parents don't, don't catch me when I come in late at night or, okay, like if I keep the job, if so-and-so doesn't break up with me, okay, then, then I'll find, okay, you know what? My life's yours then. Who do you think you are to leverage the most high and think that he has to do anything for you? No, this is not about you having them. This is about you get to serve him. And to not understand, it's just a very, very core level of misunderstanding the identity of the most high. But John the Baptist, before we get any of the good stuff about what Jesus will do for those who follow him, goes, listen, he's king. He's king. Now, that conversation happens, but it doesn't stop what John the Baptist says about Jesus. And so verse 20 says this, this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So there's this conversation, but check this out. Verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. And I love this language, okay, that John's been preparing the way, preparing the road for the king's arrival, and now we see the king walking towards him. I just, I just find that language really, really, really rich there. And so he's out there and here comes Jesus just beelining through the crowd towards him. And check this out. When John sees him, it says this, okay. And he said, look, the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God. And everyone's looking around. What, where, what? Is he talking about sheep? Like what's going on? Like what? Look, the Lamb of God. All eyes go off of John and they go over to Jesus. And what he says here. It's just so poignant. Like, listen, again, many of us, we were raised Christian. We were just so familiar with this phrase, Lamb of God, that we don't get the heaviness of it. I mean, like, well, yeah, Jesus is the Lamb of God. God, check, moving on. But think of what this would mean to them. See, um, as John says this, calendar-wise, these people are coming up on a, on a holiday they've celebrated for about 1,500 years called Passover. And there's a big significance of a lamb at Passover. So when John says this, it would be the significant, like, like if I were to say, okay, like, let's, let's imagine that it's modern day, okay, and, and I'm John the Baptist and Jesus comes walking in and it's like December 23rd, all right? And I'm like, look, here comes the gift wrap, jingle-belling present of God. Even though I don't say Christmas, everybody's going to go, okay, got it, right? Okay. Same way, and by the way, that's Christmas, which we've celebrated way less than they celebrated Passover. Like Christmas, I think we start celebrating here became a national holiday like 1830 or 1870, something like that. But for that, we're talking 1,500 years they've been celebrating Passover. And here's what happened at Passover. Maybe you've heard of the story. 
the Israelites, all those years ago, were in slavery. They were under the thumb of oppression of someone and they had no hope of delivering themselves. And so God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. You, you know the story. Pharaoh says no. And so God releases plague after plague to get Pharaoh to change his mind. And over and over and over again, Pharaoh says no until the last time. But God says, I'm gonna do one more thing. And when I do this, he'll let you go. In Exodus 12, verse three, it says this, tell the whole community, this is God speaking to Moses, um, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb, lamb of God, for his family, one for each household. Okay, so at the, okay, what you guys are gonna do, everybody's gonna take a lamb. Okay, then what do you do? So, jump down to verse seven. Then they are to take some of the blood. So you kill the lamb. Then you take its blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the house where they eat the lambs. And so here's what was gonna happen, okay? These people, every household would take a lamb, they'd kill it and they'd take its blood and they'd smatter it across the, the cross of the doorposts. And then that night, Exodus tells us that the angel of God entered into Egypt. And every household that did not have the covering of the blood of the lamb experienced death. The judgment of God came on them. But every household that had received the blood of the lamb was spared. And so for once a year, for approximately 1,500 years after that, the people of God, would get, they'd get together and they'd remember, God, you freed us. God, we were slaves in ourselves and you passed us over from judgment by the blood of the lamb. And so when we come back to John 1.29, that's the significance behind where John says, look, the lamb of God. Here's a neat thing just to know, okay? The, the word of right here in the Greek, it's not there. Um, the, the way it's, it's called the genitive case in Greek. Basically, what it means is the word lamb is part of the word God. So a better, more literal translation would be, listen, the lamb provided by God or the lamb God has sent. In other words, okay, listen, for the last 1,500 years, you guys have been providing a lamb. For all this time, you've remembered how God delivered you from slavery and oppression, but God himself has sent one for you. Look the lamb who will keep the wrath away, the lamb who will cover you. And with that, he says, it's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Back to our first question, why did Jesus come? Well, because religion can never do that. And the word in the Greek here, okay, like this idea of, of like taking away, it's the Greek word iro, it literally means like to pick up and carry off. That the Lamb of God, like what Jesus has come to do is pick up and carry away. That it's not, okay, listen, I'm going to just try really hard and then God will accept me. I'll just work some things out. I'll just get my life together and then God will say, yeah, you're mine. No, no, the Lamb of God that God has sent, okay, after repentance that God did, the Lamb of God that God sent will pick up and carry off, will pick up and carry off, who will remove your sin from me. And it's interesting because the word sin is not sins, plural. 
As though sin, every sin ever, everywhere committed, is all one thing, this sort of big blob of filth that Jesus just picks up and carries off. And I think the tragedy is how many of us, we've been taught this version of Christianity that gets the name of God right, but the entire core of the gospel wrong. And so we were taught, listen, yeah, Jesus is the Son of God, yeah, he died for sin. Now keep these commandments and then God will like you. All right, listen, you want God to accept you, do X, Y, and Z, and then finally, if you're holy enough, long enough, come on, then finally he'll want you, only that's not this at all, is it? The Lamb of God who picks up and carries off, who picks up and removes. It's not about you earning anything from God because you never could. Ever. (laughs) Do you know what that means? For the achiever today, for the one who's like, you know, I, I, I hear that, but you know, I still think there are some things that are on me. I can do a little bit better. I can do a little bit. Yeah, everyone ever could always do better. But if you want to understand the essence of the gospel, if you want to understand what John the Baptist is saying in this moment, John, who's been appointed by God to proclaim this, it's really simple. And maybe you just need to write this down. Jesus doesn't want you to try harder. He wants to take your sin. Jesus doesn't want you to try harder. It's not, okay, I'll do this a little bit better. I'll be a little more devoted. I'll be a little more dedicated. I'll pray every day a little bit longer. I'll read a little bit more of my Bible. I'll go to church a little bit more often. I'll give a little bit more. Like, okay, I'll do this, and then God will, no, 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 no. He doesn't want you to try harder. He wants you to let him have your sin so he can take it away. God, let me just amp up my, my dedication. Maybe I just make myself feel a little bit worse. Then you'll finally love me. No, no, no. What can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Behold, look, the Lamb of God who comes to pick up and carry off the sin of the world. Everybody's going, what? That's not how religion is done. You're telling me that that the God of this movement will just do it all for me? Yeah. Well, then, how do I live with that? I would say, I have an answer to that too. Verse 30, this is the one he says, I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. God reference, right? Jesus was God. He was eternal. He lived before John, after me, and yet before me. And he goes, and I love this next part. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Hey guys, the, the entire reason that I'm here was just to set up eyes on him. And says, then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down, the Holy Spirit from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I like this, by the way. Um, it's interesting to note like if you've read the other Gospels, you know this happens when Jesus is baptized, right? It's interesting to note that John doesn't record Jesus' baptism. He talks about it after the fact, but it's not, it's not there in the narrative. And I think that's really fascinating because it's almost this sort of feeling of it happened and nobody noticed it. Like that, that essentially like Jesus, I mean, this incredibly significant event where like the Trinity is present in creation and nobody is aware of it. Huh. He says, I myself, did not know him. But the one who sent me, 
God to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and testified that this is God's chosen one. And now we understand why John was going, guys, you think you're gonna be offended by me baptizing with water? And they'd never heard anything like this before. They'd heard of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit shows up all, all the time in the Old Testament. You find him showing up and, and he gives supernatural strength to Samson. You can find him anointing David for battle. You can find him showing up and, and just in isolated moments, giving people the ability to prophesy. And yet, John goes, yeah, but that's nothing compared to what this guy's gonna do with the Holy Spirit. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit in such a way that, it, that this entire experience will consume you Soak through you. Baptize, like ships submerged. Baptize, like person being dunked. Hey, another way they use baptize is like when they would dye clothing. They'd put it in dye and they'd like baptize it in the dye and pull it out and it was a different looking garment. Baptize, like for that person who's had too much to drink and it just brings all this stuff out of them and then their behavior changes. Baptize. And we see, okay, listen, all of those descriptions are apt. Because when John was baptizing with water, it was an inferior baptism. Because what Jesus is going to do is baptize his people with the Holy Spirit. And they're going, what? What? And so back to our question, if if we were to ask, okay, why did Jesus come? According to John the Baptist, there are three answers. One, to be your king. To be the savior and Lord of your life. To follow him that you do not have the ability to get yourself right with God. And to follow God on your own, you need, him, you need him to be the leader. Number two, we see that according to John the Baptist, Jesus came to be the Lamb of God for us, to pick up and carry off our sin. And number three, to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. To fill us with the very Spirit of God that brought life at creation. To change us as people. Make us different. Make us new. And you see why this is so much bigger than religion? Because you keeping some rules could never do that. It's gotta be God. And here's the good news. If you ask him to, he will. So I wanna give you an opportunity to ask. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And we're just going to recognize the way John did. And here's what we're going to pray together. Heavenly Father, right now, in this moment, I choose to acknowledge Jesus as my king. I hand my life over. Lord, I ask you, please lead me guide me. Show me how to do life. I submit my life to you now.